Hi there. Welcome to Business Unusual. We continue having our conversation around the issue of unpacking your rod. By now, you should have a little idea at least of what your rod is or what it should be. And as we spoke about the rod, remember we are still speaking around the context of when God spoke to Moses. And look, the story as we know it is a conversation going on between God and Moses. God has shown up and God is telling Moses, look, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm carrying, what you're carrying out. This is the assignment I had given you. As they begin this conversation, a big issue arises for Moses. When he hears the magnitude of what God is asking him to do, he finds himself in a situation. He begins to think about what all of us would be if God shared with us the weight of what we need to do. We'll start asking questions like, how is this possible? And God asked him the vital question we are still dealing with until now. Moses, what is in your hand? And as time goes on, and if you follow the story, we begin to realize what seemed like a simple rod in his hand turned out to be an amazing tool in God's hands to do the impossible. This is what we're looking at, where we're dealing with. But I'd like to say something here in this particular edition, that... It is important for us to note that this is a workshop we're dealing with and at this point in time the primary conversation is not yet the assignment itself the primary conversation is not yet what you are going to do the primary conversation is who you are and what are your skills what are your abilities and how are these connected to your gift meaning who you are versus what you can do and then what God wants you to do. So we'll start with who you are, what you can do, and what it is for. That's the best way to look at it. What is it for in the context of our current conversation, which is the power to produce wealth. Now, as we have this conversation, it's important to notice that it is the same Moses God spoke to about unpacking or taking his rod and moving. We call it unpacking the rod. It's the same Moses that God now sends to tell the people about the land they are going to, where the power to create wealth will be, then made manifest. So, as we begin this journey, I want to backtrack a little back into Genesis again and say, why is this crucial? We look at the creation of man. God speaks about who man is and what man will then do. So, man became a living soul. God put man in a garden, God gave man an instruction. So we start, we are still in the process of who we are. We are still in the process of what is our gift. And that's why we say gift or talent. There are many ways to look at that context, but we'll unpack that in later discussions. But for now, let's use the term talent. So we'll talk of your rod. We will use, for, for, for our understanding, we'll use the term talent because it's a term that we are closer to grasping the meaning of of course, it's bigger or greater than that. When we talk about talent here, we're not talking about just being a great musician or a dancer or whatever. We're talking about what is unique about this dancer. What is unique about this musician? So even though we may see an expression, there must be other dynamics. Secondly, we're also saying from our last conversation that whatever your talent may be, it may not yet be made manifest. It may not be fully recognized yet, or it may not have been seen in its fullness. There may have been hints of it, there may have been ideas, or maybe there hasn't been any. And yet, it, we believe God created us with enough inside of us to do this. So, as we go into that conversation, 
I think we had a conversation the other day about the connection between your talent, your knowledge, and your skills. So to just add on to that so that we have more clarity as we enter into our talent, the question you might want to ask in terms of how to distinguish between your talent, your knowledge, and your skills, one of the ways you could do that is to ask yourself this crucial question. Which aspects of you can you change? Which aspects of you can you change? Because what is changeable would fall in the knowledge of skills and knowledge. But what is unchangeable would fall in the context of who you are. Now, when we talk about something being unchangeable, let me, let me give an example. We know that Saul, before he came Paul, when he had this conver conversion, Saul had zeal for the wrong reason. When he met Christ on the road to Damascus, his zeal remained, but in a different direction. So the context of what is unchangeable versus what is changeable. Now his zeal for God, his zeal for the right thing to be done, his desire to make things work right did not change. What changed was his context, his skill, his knowledge. If you go to the New Testament, you'll hear him now talk about the old versus the new, the law versus grace. So what changed? His values changed, his knowledge changed, his information changed, his skill changed, but his talent did not change. He still had the same capacity. So if you want to get into clarity, one of the first things is to start finding out what is unchangeable versus what is changeable. And then we can see the relationships. Now, as we look at that, let's begin again looking at knowledge. Remember this is a workshop. So we'll continue. There is no hurry. This is the most vital thing about your life that will help you navigate everything else God says to you. Because as we said in an earlier broadcast that God's instructions or commands are connected to who you are. In other words, what he already made you makes it easy for you to fulfill the instructions. Sometimes we say the instructions of God are difficult or complex. They are only complex if you have the wrong identity of who you are. If you think you're somebody else, then the instruction becomes difficult. But if you are who you know you truly are, the instruction becomes easy. That's why Jesus would say, Come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden. Now, labor is work. Who labor? But in the context of toil. Meaning you're doing so much, you're carrying so much burdens. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. And then it's interesting. Rest from what? Rest from assignments nobody gave you. Rest from activities that did not actually come from him. Rest from concepts and ideas that are not going to benefit you on the journey you're going into. So what does he do instead? What he says is, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now those terms are very strange terms. The word light there means easy for you to carry. Did you know that what is light for you may be heavy for me? What may be easy for you may be difficult for me. So the context of that scripture is that he's telling you, when you come to me, I will get you to an understanding that you may be carrying burdens, you may be tied to yokes, you may have given you assignments that have nothing to do with who you are created to be. And therefore they are heavy, they are tedious, 
they are tiring, they are stressful. But when you come to me, I will not only first give you your identity back, I will now give you the right assignment, the right information, the right burden to carry, and it will be easy and light. Meaning, you were designed for it, you'll maneuver it without any stress whatsoever. Now, having said that, we need to come to another contextualization of the two terms we've been using, knowledge and skills, because we asked what aspects of you can you change. So, for the context of our conversation, we look at knowledge. And knowledge must be understood in this way. First, I'd like to split knowledge into two distinct aspects, so that there are two types of knowledge that we'll be referring to every time you hear us use the term knowledge. Because knowledge is a wide term used differently in different contexts. But for the context of our conversation, where talent is connected, where who you are is connected, where you, what you're skilled and best at is connected, we have to look at knowledge in two distinct types. The first type would be what we call factual knowledge. Factual knowledge, or what some people may refer to as content. Factual knowledge. Now, let's take an example. When you want to learn a language, you need to learn the vocabulary, how words are used. Notice you want to learn a language. So you're going to get knowledge in this field. So you have to learn what is called factual knowledge. How is the vocabulary used? What is it used for? In which context? That would be factual knowledge. Another example would be a pilot. A pilot needs to know what a call sign is. You know, me and you sitting in an aircraft, when we hear those terms, Roger, when we hear all those numbers they give each other, we have no clue what they are saying. The idea is this, to be in that field, you must learn what is known as the protocols. The protocols and the call signs, which have to do with that environment. So even though he's a pilot, there is a level of knowledge he must have, he must acquire to operate properly in that context. I'm giving diverse fields. Let's take nurses, for example. A nurse must know exactly how to interpret a prescription and how to dispense it. The right dosage, the right procedure, the right tools needed in surgery. The nurse must have factual knowledge of those kind of things that are required in the context of when something needs to be done. So factual knowledge does not guarantee excellence. The fact that your factual knowledge doesn't mean you're going to excel, but, 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 you can't excel without factual knowledge. I'll say that again. Factual knowledge does not mean that if you have factual knowledge, you have a lot of information, you have update data on a matter, it's going to give you excellence. But if you're going to excel in anything, you will require knowledge, which means because of the intent to excel, you will not only acquire the necessary but also the right kind of knowledge to be able to excel in whatever you're doing. Otherwise, you'll have knowledge for the sake of knowledge and excel in nothing. So, the reality is this. An example would be a painter. If a painter who is talented in painting has no factual knowledge on how to mix colors, no matter how good a painter they are, they'll find themselves being limited in their painting. 
but getting factual knowledge on which color mixes with which one to create which color. And suddenly, their talent reaches a new level of quality because of factual knowledge. So, factual knowledge is important. It is necessary, but it is only as powerful as the talent that it helps to enhance. So, yes, God has called me to speak on certain aspects of kingdom realities to bring a change in people's lives, to help transform people's thinking, to get them to the fullness of what God wants them to be. If I don't have factual knowledge about how people think, how people operate, the environments and they are in, the season we are living in, the environments we are operating from, if I don't have that knowledge, I will be limited in how I am able to help you. The second kind of knowledge is experiential. Now, experiential knowledge cannot be taught in a classroom or, or be found in any manual. It is something you pick as you journey. For example, somebody who works with people over a period of time in a particular field may begin to recognize things and begin to see patterns and begin to see that this is how people respond to certain situations. They may be able to have done certain things to see this is what works, this is what does not work. Experiential knowledge is what sometimes we just call experience. But experience in the context of what have you picked up along the way that is useful. Because there are bad experiences. There are painful experiences. There are annoying experiences. So we're not just talking about experience for the sake of experience in this context. We're talking about experience that you can use and apply in the environment that you're in. Experience that can assist you in fulfilling something in a much more powerful manner than the way that you probably thought it would work. Now, if you're thinking about how much knowledge do I need? I would say your knowledge would be needed in the context of where you're functioning part-time. Where are you functioning? And it also would be important what have you discovered in terms of who you are? Which talent are you trying to grow on? Which capacity is this that you have that now will then determine knowledge? So you don't start with knowledge thinking you'll gain talent or capacity. You start with capacity that gives you the, the environment where the knowledge acquired will be functional. The second thing we need to look at is skills. Now, why are skills important and why did I put knowledge before I talked about skills? Because skills generally is arranging things in a particular order to get a result. Skills is putting structure to knowledge. Skills is the ability to now apply something that you know. It means that whatever activity you're involved in, at some point you'll have to work out in which order do certain things need to be done. So you could have accumulated knowledge, but if you do not know how to apply it, you need skill on how to apply that knowledge. Normally, when we say knowledge and skill are applied, we call that wisdom in the natural sense. But in the kingdom, wisdom is when knowledge and skill are applied to talent. When knowledge and skill are applied to a talent, that's what we call the wisdom of God. So, skill is just a sequence. It's what helps you 
to prioritize things, what helps you to position and to execute. So we need skill for execution. We need knowledge on what to execute, but we need talent to determine what our knowledge and skill can be operated on. Otherwise, as we said, if you have knowledge only, you just have information and that changes nothing. If you have skill only without um, a talent that you're enhancing, without knowledge that you're cutting out, then it's just a survival technique. Skill without talent is just a survival technique. Some people are skilled because they just need to survive. You need to make it. And that's what we're taught in school, how to get enough skill to make it, instead of how to get, how to use your skill to grow and live. Those are things we need to start querying as we journey. So, if you learn a skill, it will help you get a little better, but it won't cover for lack of talent. So skill has its level, knowledge has its level, but that doesn't completely help you unless there's underlying talent. So, as you improve your knowledge and your skill, they'll become greater and more valuable if they're applied to your talent. When you take genuine talent and combine it with factual knowledge, experiential knowledge and skill, then you begin to function at a very powerful level. Now, that brings us to the major question, talent. What is talent? And I think one good question you'd ask yourself is, which aspects of me are enduring? Remember we've asked, which aspects of me are changeable? Now we are asking, which aspects of you are enduring? Are always there, are permanent. So I know one of the descriptions we have for talent is a special natural ability or aptitude, an innate quality. That means if it is a quality, if it is innate, then it should be enduring. It shouldn't be something that is there for some time. It should be something that is always there. We said you even describe things by their natural quality. This water is clean. It is water, it doesn't change. This water can get dirty, but it is still water. So the clean and the dirty are aspects of water. Water remains water. It doesn't become something else. It just becomes dirty water or clean water. I hope you're getting where I'm going with this. So there's that quality of identity that can be broken down and said, this is what it is. So today, I kind of want to give us some contexts that could help begin to to, to elicit that reality in us. I would, if you're to subtitle what I'm talking about today, I would say I'm talking about signposts. Signposts to your talent. Signposts to unpacking your rod. Things that could help you, that clues that could lead you, that would begin to wake up that part of you that may not be fully functional or things that would spy you to put more strength and energy in that which really matters, that which can bring change not only to you, but to those around you. So I would, there's no particular order of what I'm sharing, but they're just clues, 
signpost, almost like if you are following a roadmap, you'll be looking for signs to a particular place. So I'm trying to give you signposts on a journey that would help you navigate the journey to who you are, the journey to your talent, the journey, and sometimes it could be multiple talents, the way to unpack, identify, and unpack your road. So today we are dealing a lot with the issue of identifying that road. As we unpack it, you have to identify it. If you're taking things out of a bag, you'd need to, a tool bag, you'd need to be able to name each thing and say, this is what this is. This is what it is for. So that's why unpacking your road became an issue. But now, on this basis, we want to look at different aspects of things that you could look at and say, okay, that helps me. That practically gives me something to look at. That is a direction I can take to search. So to benefit from this broadcast, the question would be, as I give you these clues, they are for you to act on. They are for you to process and bring to somewhere. They are for you to practice. They are not for you to get knowledge. Remember, factual knowledge is not going to help you. They are for you to dig deep into your own reality, some of them into your history, some of them into your relationships, your social circles, your operations, some into your thoughts, some into your reasonings, some into really, we, we are really looking at you. We are trying to look at the man in the mirror. What do you see? And that's what we're trying to look at. And from there, you should be able to come up with a picture, an image. Remember, I do not have the ability to tell you exactly who you are because I has not seen. But I can give you clues that help you see. I can remove blindness from your eyes. I can remove limitations that blind you to who you really are. I can probably navigate and deal with areas that have been used to obscure that reality through experience, through life, through school, through journeys, whatever it may be. But even as I do that, your part must exist. The part where you take up what you hear and you're able to move from that position. So I'll begin from a context of scripture that we know. When the discussion comes up with children, some children come and they want to see Jesus and the disciples have a problem with it. And then Jesus makes a statement. He says, let them come to me. And then he says something interesting. He says, unless one becomes like a child, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now that statement is a loaded statement with various levels of truth. Today, the one we want to draw from it is in the context of who we are. He says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. Now, that becoming like a child is what we have to ask. What does that mean? This is not, and I've joked about this many times, he's not talking about you being childish or foolish. He's talking about being like a child. There's a quality of being like a child that is so unique that it gives you easy access to kingdom things. That's an amazing thought right there. That there are certain aspects of being an adult that limit us from easily accessing the kingdom. So to do this, we need to look a little bit back into time and say, remember, you see, children are innocent. Children are unhindered. Children are natural. Children are themselves. So, here's the question. 
Are you able to remember what you loved doing as a child? What did you love doing? What are the habits and things that were so natural to you and yet they were fun? You were okay with them. So we're going to be dealing with two aspects throughout this journey. There's the aspect of you enjoyed what you did, yet you are good at what you did. Now it is true that there are some scenarios where you are good at something but you don't enjoy. That's a different story. We'll talk about that later. But we're talking about the most natural position. Today, if you left children alone, they would not sit in a corner. If you left children alone, they would find something to do. Actually, what has happened, the environment we already have becomes a limiting environment and many times you have to keep, children to keep telling children to stop this and stop that and stop the other. Instead of asking, what if I put this child in a certain environment where they seem to want to thrive? If they like knocking and drumming things, what if I give them an instrument to see what they did? If they seem to be breaking things apart and fixing them or trying to fix them, what if we give them though something to work on? In other words, what would we do to nurture what is natural to them instead of nurture what we want? Because many of us have been nurtured in culture, we've been nurtured in all sorts of aspects and not necessarily nurtured in the context of what we were supposed to be. This is interesting. So, what are those natural things? What is it that you were good at? What are the things that you tended to do? What are those things that were so natural to you that time just passed? What were those things that you, you grew up that people identified you with? What were your past behaviors? What were your likes and your dislikes? These things could give you an indication of what it is that is within your personality and within how God wanted you to function. Because they were natural to you. What is it that you did that no one taught you? You know, we keep saying that, you know, I did this and nobody taught me this. I just, how is that even possible? You know, we, we are told and we are brought up in the understanding that we need to be taught things and we need to grow in things. I agree. We need to be taught in things we don't know and things we may not have a clue what to do with. But when you go back to creation, something profound is seen in the creation of Adam and Eve. From the word go, God creates them breathes his spirit into them and they are fully capable of doing everything they are supposed to do without going through a process of learning. That means there is something inside of us that doesn't require learning, it requires growth. It doesn't require learning, it requires growth. It requires to improve, it requires to upgrade, but not necessarily to be learned. What was it that was natural to you? What are some of the things that even if you are to narrate them now, you get excited. They bring, you become alive. When you narrate this to people, somebody watching you would observe and see, did you see how they lighted up? Maybe you were bored, about to sleep, that conversation comes up and you just lit up. You became alive, you began to describe that part. Which part of your story of your life does everybody who knows you know? That you're always telling them about. You're always discussing with them. You're always sharing. When we all go back to our childhood, what are those areas that you'll always highlight over and over and you never get tired of narrating? 
those are clues. Those are very powerful clues of what we are. Because they, they, bring, up, they bring forth both the aspect of what we loved doing and what we were good at doing. That's the truth. Maybe even there were naughty things, but beyond the naughtiness of stressing people and doing silly pranks, what was behind the planning of the prank? What made you so happy about that prank? How can we, like Saul, take that prank and turn it into something more powerful? Those are the things we need to ask. Try to recreate some childhood moments and see if those moments, you begin to feel the energy associated with those moments, the excitement associated, the joy. What did you used to look forward to? Those should give you insights. Unless you become as a child, you cannot enter the kingdom. There are things we may have lost. We need to query. Listen whether somebody told you to stop or not. The question we're dealing with now is not what happened to you. The question we're dealing with now is what did you enjoy? The question we're dealing with it now, what did you do naturally? The next thing I want us to look at is connected to this exactly. Sometimes it's something we need to do. Observe what it was that friends and family said about you as you grew up. What was highlighted about you? Sometimes you need to ask friends and family, especially if you have older siblings or your parents are still alive, have a conversation. Maybe you forgot. Maybe time erased something. Ask them, what was I good at? Or when they give stories, what do they describe you as good at? What do they say? I'm not talking about when you acted. I'm not talking about when you conformed to behave. I'm not talking about when you, you created an, an image so that people can accept you. I'm not dealing with those issues. You have to connect it to the first thing I talked about. Did it give you joy? Was it vibrant? Was it something you'd rather do? Is it something you are happy to do? Now ask current, even friends and family, what are you good at? What are you known for? What comes to you naturally? Because people might point out to you what they see naturally to you, and that is our problem. We may have despised that thing. Yet, it's a thing people look at, people admire, people benefit from and people wish we could, they could have. Think about it. What are things that came to you effortlessly that benefit others? And, and this, this could be a major thing that guys always ask you to do. What is the one thing that people keep asking you? Do for me this. Oh, please come and help me with this. Oh, you're the one who's good with this. What is that thing? What is that thing? What is that one thing that you keep hearing, or two things or three things, because they could be multiple, that people are always reaching out to you for? When people seek you out, why do they? When people want to ask for your advice, in what area do they ask? When people need your help, and they're sure you're the one who can help, what is it that they normally reach out for? Those are pictures of what we're looking at. Those are the things we are saying should be crucial to who you think you are. Now let's look at something else. What makes you feel strong? That's a strange one. What makes you feel strong? What energizes you? There are things that make us feel weak. We, we call them kryptonite. If you watch Superman, when it comes around you, suddenly it just makes you weak. But what are the things that make you feel strong? What are the things that when you do, you feel better? 
What are things that energize you that even as you're doing, you feel so effortless and so easy? Because that is crucial. The thing God put in us is supposed to be a benefit to us. It's supposed to make us look good, feel good, journey well. It's supposed to expand who we are. Actually, when you're doing the things that are natural to you, you don't even seem to age. You seem to grow younger and more robust and happier. What makes you stronger? What gives you satisfaction? This is really what talent ultimately that God gave us is about. It's supposed to strengthen us and give us life. And that life is supposed to then pour out into others and bring the same life to others. You can't have something that is negatively eating you up and expect that thing to be a benefit. Let me say it this way. If you go back and think about your days of school, there'll be favorite teachers and teachers you wouldn't like. And if you really check it carefully, it would rarely be anything to do with the actual subject. Normally we think it was a subject. They could be, but maybe 5%. Many times, if you found a teacher who loved what they are doing and enjoyed it, that energy affected you. You may not even be crazy about that subject, but because of them, you understood it. There could be other teachers who could have come across to you. And no matter how good that subject was, you were also stressed, even if you liked it, because they had no business teaching it. They learned a skill for survival, but they had no talent in that project. The most powerful classes were the classes where it appealed to who you are, and the teacher enjoyed what they were doing. Those are the people we refer to as our best teachers. Those are the teachers, 20, 30 years later, I know some of them, I remember their names to date. There are some teachers I have no clue, I cannot remember their name nor what they taught. What does that tell you? It has to do with the thing that makes you strong. And it comes flawlessly and easy. It makes you strong, but it is easy for you. You are good at it. Listen, when we are good at something, no matter how difficult it is, to the people watching us it appears to be very easy. The truth is it is natural to us. If they try it, it is difficult. When we do it, it appears easy. Why? Because we get stronger. The more we do it, the better we become at it, the stronger we become at it, the more efficient we become at it, the more enjoyable it is. Interesting journey. This is how we were designed to be. And when we do that, that energy, whatever it is we are good at, usually is good for people. Interesting. I'm good at it, but it's good for you. That's really how we were designed to function. Right? That it will always benefit. See, our inner sense always draws us to the things that make us feel calm and content. If you want to know something is for you, when you're at it, there's a calmness that comes upon you. There's a peace that comes with it. When you're in the midst of what you enjoy doing, time stops, life becomes calm, you become cheerful, you're comfortable when you meet people, suddenly you are likable. Why? You're likable because that's the energy, the strength that comes from nothing you're doing. It actually affects you in a way, but it, it infects others. It has that capacity to bring life to others. 
You know, it's funny Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, the disciples at a time when Jesus asked them, do you want to go? They said, where do we go? You have the words of life. So it's interesting. He is life. He produces life. And he gives you life. And that is what, when people asked him, have you eaten? He said, my meat, my will is to do the will of the, my meat, my food, that which energizes me, that which gives me life, is to do the will of the one to send, who sent me and to complete it, to finish it. What does that tell you about you? Your meat, your food, what gives you the greatest satisfaction is to do the will of the one who sent you. Why? It's interesting. He said, my food is to do the will. Now, please understand this. You cannot say your food is to do the will if you don't like the food. That's torture. Just watch a child who doesn't like a certain kind of food and the kind of battles they have with their mother. I know that I'm a grandfather and I can see sometimes those battles. But there's food that the child loves and they keep chasing it and they want it. And yet, some of the food they like is good for them. So, it's a good thing that they like good food that is good for them. Now, that's how God is. Jesus completely, he was not enduring his call. He was enjoying it. That's the truth. So, for you to know fully that which is for you, it has to be something that energizes you. Something that, as you do, gives you energy, gives you strength. Yet, others may be benefiting from it too. So it's, that's a win-win situation. I'm enjoying myself. In my enjoying myself, I'm producing something that you are enjoying and benefiting from. That is really kingdom life. That's why we are created. That's how we are created. That's what we are created for. So every time there's a breach in those levels, we need to query what it is that we are doing. Now, there are times that you must think about and recall what made you feel good about your life. Go back. What are some of the things that you did that made you feel so good about yourself? You felt so powerful in that moment. You felt so full of life, you'd want that moment to last. What was that moment? Those are clues. What were you doing in that moment? What was it that you did that you truly felt good and you felt like you contributed? You felt like you made a change. You also felt that you accomplished something. What was that? Today we really need to look into those issues. Think about everything that I'm saying. Everything I'm discussing today is something you must dig deep. You must do the work. You must look and be honest and query and interact and even talk to people about it because it means that, that much. So if you do that, you'll find that those things that you may have abandoned are powerful for where you need to be. They were part and parcel of who you are. Or there are things that you still have but you don't give them as much value as you as you should or there are things that you're good at but you don't think they're important and yet when you think about it you accomplish them with ease and they actually give you satisfaction what are those things now this one is an odd one 
because I have to say it and qualify it very specifically. Because if I just say it as is, it may have the wrong connotation. Find what you spend the most money on. When you have the money. And I'm not talking about bills paid. I didn't, I'm not saying go into your budget and see what takes your highest bill. I'm not saying go into your budget and look at your finances and where the most money goes. No, we're not doing an accounting budget uh, measurement here. I'm talking about spend. What do you spend? Now the word spend here means you use it without fear of loss. In other words, when that money leaves you, it may not give you a monetary return, but you feel that you it was worth releasing money into that environment. What do you spend money on? What, and I'm not talking about risky habits. I'm not talking about things you do to ease pain in your life. Because some people spend money to ease pain. No. I'm talking about that thing that excites you, you're happy with and you're comfortable spending your money on. And check, not once, not twice, but if you look into your history, not of budgets, not of bills, but whenever you have what I may call free money in your hands, whenever you have money that you feel this is okay, and you're not responding, in fact, let me try and eliminate You've not been wishing you could eat burgers and money came and you went and bought burgers. That's what I'm talking about. You've not been wishing you could watch a movie and when money came you went and watched a movie or bought a bag or a shoe. Or, no, no, I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about those things are not an issue. Those things assume you already have them. Then money came and you wanted to spend it. What would you spend it on? Good clue. Maybe you've not even thought about what I'm asking you. Maybe every time money comes, you prioritize it according to what is important, what is at risk, what if not fixed is a problem, what if I don't spend money on this, if I don't pay for this, I'm in trouble. Those are not the things I'm talking about. I'm talking about if I had easy money in my hands and it was not allocated to something, what would I naturally spend that money on? That's what I'm talking about. You'll be surprised if you check your finances for the last 12 months and remove bills, remove um, pending payments, remove investments. Notice everything I'm eliminating. Maybe after I do that, some of you will wonder what, can, what else can there be. Meaning, I've so lost who I want to be that I no longer even spend on it. Go back over 12 months and look for a pattern and say, you know what? I notice whenever I have surplus money or extra money, this is the activity I'd like to engage it in. You know the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? That treasure is not money. It means, what do you treasure? The thing you treasure, your heart will always be in that direction. Always looking for a way to touch that. For some people, the question I'm asking you is, if you didn't have to work, you didn't have to do the things you're doing, and you finally were free to do something, what do you keep saying, the day I am able to have enough, I will do this? 
I'm not talking about trying to get financially free. We've all been now so focused on that that we sometimes have missed just the purity of life. Okay, assume you want to get financially free so that you do what? That's what I'm talking about. That other thing you want to do when you're financially free. Because you can't tell me that my dream is to make money. Everybody makes money for a reason. Everybody wants money for a reason. Everybody is seeking resources for a reason. The reason is what we want to talk about. What is that reason that goes beyond that? Now that I have it, now this is where I wanted to go with this. If that dream was to come true, what would you be doing? That's a question we're dealing with. That's a conversation we're looking at. That's an environment we want to speak into. For this edition, I want to stop here with a little review. And we are continuing this conversation. I want to stop here and ask that same question that we began with. What about you can change? What about you is constant? What is it that you can retain? And what is it that you can keep changing? How do you know what to retain so that what you can change keeps changing to benefit what you can retain? This is where we are going with this conversation. This is where we are operating from. Today, I've stayed in a context because I want you to go back, seek clarity, pray over the things I've just said. Ask God for direction. If you've forgotten something, let the Holy Spirit wake it up in you. Let clarity come to a way that you're able to truly see before we go to the second part of this conversation. Because you need to be able to have gotten hold of some of these things. You need to some, have some sort of insight of who you are and where you need to go. Remember what we said? For the Spirit shows us these things by the Spirit. Even though no eye has seen, even though no ear has heard, the Spirit reveals to us these things. So I'm asking you, I haven't made it long today, so you have time to go back and go step by step, get a pen, go to point the first one, look at it, break it out, create something, look at it, look at the second, look at the third, begin to see the picture that is forming. Off of that picture, let's have a, the second part of this conversation and go forward to where we need to go. At this point this is where I say, may you be found under your vine and under your fig tree. Keep it kingdom, keep it pure.